Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. I will not get on a plane for a one hour meeting ever again in my life, unless it is game changing. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. I am delighted to say that my guest today is Matt Sims of Simplicity. Matt Sims has done some remarkable work around helping business owners learn how to build their businesses and also build themselves up. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excellent. So how did you get into this business of helping businesses? Uh, I don't, I don't know that I really had a choice, to be honest, I kind of backed into it, my, you know, we all try to run away from what our parents have done. And uh, sometimes we end up right back there. And uh, my dad, uh, you know, I'm the great grandson of a subsistence farmer, the grandson of a first generation entrepreneur roofer, um, and the son of a white collar business executive who wanted to understand why my grandfather had such a hard time scaling a smaller micro business. And so uh, I grew up in an environment where the search and the curiosity for how can it be just a little bit better, not just, um, you know, sort of putting out more fires, but how do we have less fires in general? Uh, I swore I'd never do it. I went into academia um, and Stayed there, stayed in the education outlet for a decade, but I found myself coming back to it constantly, whether it was not-for-profits or whether it was helping friends who own small businesses. And, you know, when it wasn't uh, directly under uh, and around my father, it seemed to be a lot more fun. And then you realize as you mm. age that, okay, you know what? Um, what he's doing makes a lot of sense. And so about a decade ago, he gave me a call and said, I'm looking at retiring early. If I do so, will you come home? Uh, my brother uh, joined us and the three of us, along with two other partners, started Simplicity. And that was, uh, I, I was an academic and, uh, and then got into this. So there's the start, uh, backed into it. It wasn't sort of a premonition from the age of four on you go. So I wasn't, uh, you weren't in the lemonade stand and then knew I, this was my calling. So yeah, no, no. And I, I still don't know what my calling is. Wendy. Mm. I always figure I, we can figure out what we are going to be when we grow up later. So yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And why do we even have to grow up, Matt? Really? Let's be honest. So uh, I like that uh, talk about you backed into it. What was the biggest shift that you had to make from a mindset perspective going from academic to entrepreneurship, or I call it the real world, because I, I think there's such a distinct difference sometimes in how problems are approached and solutions are generated. Yeah, I, I was always a practical academic. 
Okay. Um, I was the one leading battlefield tours uh, in, in France and uh, making sure that this became real. Uh, I understood that as a, as a teacher and as a professor, uh, my, my number one responsibility was education. Number two was some of the pedantic academic interests you might have. Um, and I don't, the, the switch was not difficult. As I said, I was doing it for uh, not-for-profits, doing it for a, a research center, doing it for a bunch of small businesses at the same time. Um, and I, I did not, there are certain people who live in models and fallacies. Uh, I, that, that never interested me when I was in academia. I always wanted it to have impact far beyond mm. uh, underwater lawn mowing, if you will. Or your name on another paper? Yeah, no, I'm not. I, that's never read by anybody. No, not terribly <laughs> interested in that. Um, the interesting piece is that you came, uh, I came to know you, Matt, as a result of the pandemic, because all of a sudden you were everywhere. And the, what it wasn't just that you were everywhere, but you were everywhere providing value and providing information and resources to those entrepreneurs like myself who are trying to figure out what is going on, what do I need to care about? Um, oh my gosh, what do I do next? Um, how did you how did you step into that role? Like, what was, was there a calling? Was it just like, okay, someone needs to do this? Like, how did you do this step up and become a leader in that respect? We were doing it behind the scenes for a lot of large organizations, medium, small organizations. And really, I mean, what was the pandemic? The pandemic was a crisis, um, but businesses face crises all the time. And there is a pretty standard playbook to get grounded in the middle of, of a crisis. Now, um, a pandemic that is completely unknown brings a lot more uncertainty. Normally, there's a bit of a stability in the market. There's a bit of stability in product or solution you have, and the company's in chaos. It's not the world in chaos and changing constantly. Right. But, but all that means is there's a set of questions you need to ask yourself, and then you need to ask yourself those questions again and again and again as new information emerges. And so how did we, how did we end up in the situation? We looked and we literally stepped back on, I remember that day, remember that day, you know, March 16th, and just going, oh, okay, this is, this is real. This is not something in some far off land, and this is going to continue. And, you know, this is where I think the history degree helps. I mean, we immediately went back on that day to the 1918 pandemic and said, okay, what's it going to look like? And it was pretty clear. It's going to be three to four years. It's going to be three to four waves. It's going to be 12 to 18 months before we have anything that looks like a vaccine. This is going to vary in terms of how fast it goes it became very clear what was going to happen. And then I was looking out there and nobody was there. No. There, 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 was, there was literally, all there was, was emotiveness on either side of the issue. We should, we shouldn't. All this stuff that doesn't, it's noise for a business owner. I mean, you have, you have customers who are scared. You have a value prop that's in question. And you got people arguing about whether we should shut doors or not, whether we should wear masks or not, and just like shit that doesn't matter. And so how do you as a business owner get grounded and get out of that noise? And so the base that we bring, the, the, the outer crisis playbook, really is the same thing as how do I run an effective business playbook? And all that the pandemic added to it was a series of variables that you just had to make sure that you up the cadence around it. Right. So everything that you did quarterly, you now had to do monthly. Everything you did monthly, you now had to do weekly. Everything you did daily, you now had to do twice a day. Um, and it was just 
how do you take this new information in and how do you distill it? And, you know, last thing I'll say on this is I think it was, it, it's interesting because we had an incredible team that does this work day in and day out. We just came together as a group. Obviously no one was looking for organizational designers when the world was turning upside down and said, how do we be of most utility to our clients? And how do we be of most utility to our region? And if you go back to why we exist, it was pretty easy to make that decision, right? I mean, simplicity exists to make the world a better place, one organization at a time focused in Atlanta, Canada. Okay, that's why we exist. What do we do? We help companies out of chaos and we help them scale. Yeah. Okay, how do we do that? Now, how do we get that out there in an accessible way to start to help people get grounded in this mess? Longer answer maybe than you want it. Oh, no, <laughs> I think it's perfect because um, there was a leadership vacuum. There was a, in the sense of for business owners in particular, yeah. there was, um, you know, I feel like everybody, most people had crisis brain, particularly if we we're looking at the people we serve. We can't, went into this crisis mode because again, um, we don't know what's happening in 30 days. I can't make plans for six months out. So uh, it changes the mindset. And it I think it took four or five months before people started looking at planning ahead again. So that's interesting. Through the pandemic from myself, uh, I feel like there were some really good things that happened as a result of that. Uh, Matt, did you see anything good come out of the pandemic for business owners? I I think absolutely. Uh, you, you know, I said this early on, if you had a business that you were barely holding on to, don't rebuild that business. Right. Like, you know, there's, there's a bunch of people who are attributed to this quote, but basically, you know, never waste a crisis. Yes. And, you know, my hope is that people did not waste crises in this case, because they, this was an opportunity to examine stem to stern what was working in your business and what wasn't. And you really had to go back to what problem do I solve for who? Yeah. What's the value of solving that problem? Do I still want to solve that problem? Does that problem still matter? Because there's a lot of them that didn't. There's a, there's a good question. Yeah. And there's a lot of them that didn't. And there's, there's a lot that don't. And people are, are, have hung on with loans and unsustainable financial models that, you know, the next 24 months is going to be a graveyard of small and micro businesses. Yeah. There's no, there's, I mean, CUA is talking about, or, or the credit unions with their aggregate data are talking about something between one and six and one and four businesses are going to go out of business in the next 24 months. And yeah. we're not really going to hear about it because it's going to be kind of a death by a thousand cuts. We're going to see it in the statistic later on. Right. But, you know, back to, back to, are there good things that have come out? Absolutely. There are great things that have come out. I, I, I will not get on a plane for a one hour meeting ever again in my life unless it is game changing. I just yeah. won't. This, this, but what has it done? It has normalized Zoom as an acceptable way to have a business conversation, yeah. which is great, Yeah. right? It's also made the world accessible. Yes. You know, you think about, you think about training opportunities, you, you aren't limited by geography anymore. I mean, Adobe had their incredible uh, annual conference and instead of being limited to 15,000 people and the people who could make it to the Golden Coast, you now have 80,000 people online who are able to, now, does it change the way we have to do that? Sure. 
But does it make this incredible information, these incredible contact points, infinitely more accessible? And did it completely normalize it? 100%. Absolutely. 100%. I think, and you know, the other thing, I think that this is really forcing a reckoning on, on what it means to be human too, right? I mean, it, about there, that, Matt? No, there's just, it's, there's a false, you know, I, I wrote yesterday on LinkedIn, there, there's, there's a false separation between work and life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get into this idea of work-life balance. Well, first of all, using the word balance is a terrible idea because it, it suggests a trade-off. First and foremost, okay. it's a terrible, terrible idea. Now, work-life integration or work-life harmony, wonderful. And, and really, when you think of it, it's not just work and life. There, there are four main buckets if you think about your life. There's your community, there's your family and friends, there's your personal, and there's your professional life. Yeah. Four burners. They can't all be hot at once. So where does burnout come from? Heating up three of them at the same time and thinking you can do it, yeah. right? And there, there are seasons of life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you're going to, you know, you can't just say, hey, this is the job. This is what I expect of you. Come do it. I don't really care about your personal life. Come on it. You know, maybe in a larger company, you can do that because they're numbers. But in yeah. a smaller micro company, you can't. You're, 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 that's why it's so personal. That's why it feels so personal when people decide to leave or people decide to come. And, you know, small business owners have to get over that, too. But I think there's been a fundamental shift in understanding that we're, we're not just part of someone's six hours a day or seven hours a day. And I think small and micro business owners have known that, but there's a way to be really good for people. I call a spade a spade. You, you only got four or five good hours in you every day anyway from deep work. Yes. Now, don't mistake that from all the other shit that needs to get done. So the biggest mistake that's going on on these four four-day weeks and these five-hour work days uh, is that it's not just deep work we require from people. There's a whole bunch of, you know, emails we'll and stuff it, like let's that. Let's call it tasks. Yeah, Little tasks. Yeah. that need to be done that don't require yeah. your best brain. They just require they get done, right? And if you look at any accomplishment, people have put the hours in. But if I, if, if I back up for a second, there's been some incredible changes that I don't want to lose. So let me hear about those a little bit more, Matt. So the digitization, I I don't want to lose this, this ability, this proximity, this, this, what we're doing right here. I don't want to lose. No. The other thing I don't want to lose is I don't want to lose access. What does that mean? Well, there's, so, you know, you can get a hold of someone today and have a meaningful conversation. And that happened in the pandemic was interesting access to people and positional power and all that kind of fun stuff sort of melded away. It, it didn't, it didn't exactly. And I think, uh, I think that will continue to some degree. So you, you think know? the artificial barriers that some people put up against yeah. contact went away and that they're not going to necessarily, they may come back up a little, but not to the full extent. And I think you have a, a new way to maneuver them. You know, people are willing mm-hmm. to meet with you for, it, it's, it's a totally different game when I'm going to meet for 15 or 20 minutes on Zoom. If you ask me for a 17 minute Zoom meeting, that's totally different than a, than a, than a one hour coffee. Yeah. Right. And, and I think people who understand how to and start to change the way they behave in this environment can have really short, meaningful meetings, right? Ask somebody for a 17 minute meeting or a 21 minute meeting and tell them exactly what it's about. Yeah. First of all, the time will throw people off on, whoa, okay, they don't really want me for much. And they know exactly what they want to talk about. Don't tell me you want to meet for coffee for an hour. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't have one hour coffees that I want to meet for with people I don't know. But right. 17 minutes? Sure. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Anytime you want. I, I do love that the, um, the, the fact that the world has gotten smaller in some respects because of this. And I, I've had some very interesting conversations because I've always opened to a conversation. What was the most interesting conversation you had in the last year and a half that was unexpected Wow! because of this? Uh, I don't even really know how to answer that one. I've had <laughs> so many fascinating conversations and, you know, whether it was with the head of procurement um, uh, in one of the provinces as yeah. they were trying to sort out how to manage Chinese logistics um, with PPE, which was interesting. I had some past experience managing logistics for a, for a manufacturing company and, you know, just walking them through what they were likely to deal with, including, yeah. you know, all bets are off. As yeah. soon as you get into a crisis, I mean, if you, there's going to, it's going to be interesting to see the studies on how the Chinese managed the outflow of goods and, and why or why not they may have done that. But you could see it coming a mile away if you had lived and worked there. So mm -hmm. that was one fascinating conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other fascinating conversations that I have were almost always to do with business owners rethinking their business. Yeah. Right. Because at the end of the day, and I'm going to come back to this, you have a problem you solve. There's a value of solving that. And you have a capability today to solve that problem and you have people with competencies who show up to execute that capability to deliver that value to the customer for a return. People who don't rethink those connections are in big trouble, big trouble, because too much has shifted. Customers and the way and what they value. See, what, what happens in times of cataclysmic change, right? So we're squeezing 10 years of change in 16 months. Yeah. What happens in those moments is that you have discrete winners and losers because people don't adapt quick enough yeah. in them, right? And when they don't, see, if you don't adapt in a regular year, okay, you lose one or 2% because the world's always moving, the world's always changing. But if you don't adapt in a 16 months like we just had and really throw everything out that you believed before and rebuild it, yeah. you're going to get yourself in trouble. Yes. Because it's, it's those things that you're so certain of that get you in trouble. Yes. So the, uh, we were talking in the green room before about uh, the word I now hate, which is pivot. And yeah. so um, what you're talking a bit about is adaptability and flexibility in terms of how you solve the problems you love solving. Yep. So can you build that into your company DNA and can you build it into your processes? There's no question the, the the world's best companies, those that survive in the long term, reinvent themselves consistently, constantly. They're getting 1% better a day. They're getting a step change better every quarter. Uh, they first and foremost, they have the ability to change. Their second ability is their value prop. Okay, please, uh, can you elaborate on what gives you the ability to change? Is it a mindset thing? Is it a resource thing? What is it? Yes. Plus a lot of other things. <laughs> okay, so right? it's not but, a simple answer. Okay. It, it isn't, but I'll, I'll try and distill it for you. It, it, so you, you do require a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally a growth mindset. You, you have to come at something from not it's good or it's bad. So when I hear people talking about something's good or something's bad, my brain shuts off and I can't wait for the conversation to be over. I, I, I want to talk about it is and it could be better. 
Mm. Okay, that, that's all. That's great. Now, great. There are more problems and more challenges than you can ever solve as a business owner. There are more opportunities than you can ever take advantage of. The job of a business leader is not to solve problems. The job of a business leader is to clearly articulate where we're headed in the long term, mm-hmm. connect it to what that means in the short term, sequence the core priorities of what need to get done and create the room for people to get them done. The more you're doing, the less you're growing an organization. So as a leader, it's about creating the environment for consistent change Mm -hmm. and then enabling that. And too often business owners they don't mean to do this, but they do it. They're running a million miles a minute. So they're basically telling everybody else, shut up, just do what I say. Mm. They're not saying those words, but the way they're responding to experiences that people have had with a client, the way that they bring those together yeah. is creating that environment where eventually you go, okay, I'm, I'm turning people who want to join me and our owners into renters by telling them to shut up every day. So What I would posit here is that you can actually do this systemically and Google has done it systemically. Um, You can, innovation is a process. It's not a moment of inspiration or perspiration at some point in your life that just flickers and, oh, there it goes. There is a way in which you can create an environment for ideas to collide and the best ones to come to the top. Okay. And when we do this with organizations, we say, okay, every 90 days you stop for two days. And you go, what am I going to be in 10 years? Mm -hmm. As a result of what I want to be in 10 years, what do I need to be at the end of this year? Okay. The gap between this year and where I am right now. Yeah. What are all the gaps? And it's not just, and this is why it's important that you have this conversation in 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 an environment that inspires different thinking, not just in your windowless boardroom or your kitchen. It's important that you have this in a, to go, because I don't only want the gaps, but I also want, what are the opportunities? What are the strengths we have that we could amplify, right? Yeah. And what I need is that mindset that, you know, quite frankly, the difficulty between 2Xing a business and 10Xing a business, it's, it's no harder, it's just different. Yeah, totally agree. A little more risk, it's no harder, it's just different. So, you know, to to bring this long-winded thing down, the the reality here is that if you want to create an organization that changes, you'll do that in two ways. Creating the environment for ideas to be heard. Yeah. Creating the discipline of making choice and supporting people through the learning process when the actual decision doesn't work like we thought it was going to work. So not only do we need growth, we need grit. Tell me what you're, what I hear you're saying is uh, the last part in particular is as a leader, we need to be okay with failure because we've tried something within some parameters and something didn't work. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's feel, be careful about feeling that. Or how, cause I think of failures learning lessons all the time, but yeah. how do you position that if you've done all the right things and it didn't work? So how do you position that? There are two types of failure. Let's let's be careful about okay. glorifying failure. Sure. And this is this is a common thing to do today. And I think that there's there's a real subtle edge to failure that we need to get right here. First mm-hmm. of all, if I'm doing you know if I'm doing the 27th accounting file, 
I shouldn't fail at that. I do that no. over and over again. This is exactly. not this is not an area where I should go, oh my God, it's amazing you failed. No, I mean, we're going to learn from it. Fine. And if it happens once out of every 200, okay. But there's, yeah. there's a difference between the stuff we do every day to create value. That should have very low failure. Very. And then there is the stuff that we're trying. Yes. Okay. And it depends on what degree you're trying. So I, I don't know if you've yes. ever heard of moonshots. So yeah. Peter Diamandis. Comes, yeah, I know Peter. Yeah. Okay. So it, moon, there's actually some of the best companies in the world are allocating between four and 20% of revenue. Yeah. Four and 20% of revenue to moonshots. These are designed to 10x your company. 99 out of 100 of them are going to fail. They actually take their Skunk Works team and they move them totally out of the building because they don't want them with the people who are supposed to do the peat and repeat stuff. Right. Right. But then there's, there, you don't need to have this crazy Project X team that Google has or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But what we do need to have is this environment to pilot new ideas. Now, let me just touch on this a moment. They need to be big enough that you learn, but small enough that they don't destroy you. Yes. Hmm. Because once you pilot a new idea, the thing you're going to find is that it's not going to work right away. Right. Theory is going to hit reality. We're back to this academic world. Theory is going to hit reality. You're going to find out you were wrong. Now, in that moment, you're either going to continue to iterate and get it right. Or you're going to go, we're always wrong. It's never going to work, whatever. You can't do it. And you get the chief, I told you so, officers going, you're an idiot again. Yeah. Right. So that it's at that moment that companies define themselves. Do they understand it's a little bit better and they need the grit to keep moving it? Or do they, as soon as they encounter the first problem, go, can't do it. Yeah. Right. What do they do? Is grit perseverance in your mind, Matt, or is it more than that? It's more than that. Um, it's, 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 not, it's not just continuing to go in spite of everything else. Uh, you know, it's, it's intelligent resilience, if you will. Because uh, persistence is this thing that you just, you just keep going no matter what. And, yeah. you know, I, there's only so many times I want to hit my head on a real brick wall, right? right? Like I'd, I'd like to learn it's brick and find a different way around it. Uh, uh, you know, I'm in the financial industry, so I, I love the numbers. Um, Matt, how many business owners do you run into that aren't necessarily always looking at their numbers and looking at the right numbers? I haven't found one yet that is looking at the right numbers to be perfectly blunt. Okay. What's um, holding them for, back from that? Is it a mindset piece? Is it, I just didn't know piece? Is it? It's, it's more the second. It's, 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 it's more the second. So the, in any organization, if you want to see the connection, there's a series of leading and lagging indicators. Yep. Normally the only set of metrics a business owner has that are concrete are the ones that they pay their tax with. So their financial numbers have to be done once a year by law. Yeah. Aside goodness, from that. At least every, they get it once. Yeah, they, they do. But but those are, that's just one perspective. Yeah. See, a great organization understands itself from six perspectives. Okay. Vision, financial, customer, core capabilities or processes, the enabling processes, HR, IT, infrastructure, value management, how I see my yeah. numbers, and leadership. So vision, financial, customer, process, enabler, leadership. And there's a series of lagging and leading metrics that you can, you know, basically, if you're if if you're schooled in this, somewhere between seven and fourteen metrics, you can tell how well a business is doing. 
but it's not intuitive and metrics aren't a scorecard. They're not, they're, they're not, how did I do? They're the start of a discussion, not the end of a discussion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, metrics are designed to start the discussion around improvement, not designed to prove whether we did well or not. And this is a problem. Mm-hmm. This is a problem because think about your, think about your days in school. Yeah. Right. Think about, think about your life. Numbers are always used in a function to prove, not to improve. And that's the problem most business owners run into is they don't use a set of leading and lagging metrics in any meaningful way to help them improve the business. Yeah. They just use the financial scorecard to go, did I make any money? Maybe they get a little bit better and they, and they, and they can see a few things like, like maybe throughput or something like that, but most can't see the story. They can't see the model. And whenever we work with organizations, the very first thing is to get that model right from the different perspectives. So you know what matters in your business and you understand how you're performing in it. So it starts the discussion of what needs the most work. I think that segues nicely into almost a process discussion, Matt. And I know that you've done a lot of work on this. You do one-on-one work, you have some coursework. What, tell me about the processes. If I'm starting and everything's a mess, yeah. What's the first process I'm looking at? Or what's the second process? Like, how do I decide what to focus on? You, you make a business better and more formal. Yeah. Area by area, process by process, person by person. So I don't, I, I can't tell you where to start in your business mm-hmm. because I don't know where the biggest strength is we want to amplify and formalize or where the biggest gap is that we want to sure up and formalize. I don't know yet. But what I do know is for most small and micro businesses, they need to keep their head around. There, there's, there's four areas they need to keep their head around for sure. Okay. Marketing. And mm-hmm. in this world that's moved to digitization overnight, am I getting in front of the right eyeballs? Yeah. And enough of them. Number one. Number two, am I converting those eyeballs into a win-win? And what I mean by that is we're all better because they've chosen to use me as a service. Do I actually have a sales process that can convert? Mm-hmm. Marketing process that can get awareness and get the right eyeballs to engage with you. A sales and process. Put them to in convert. the sales funnel. Yeah. Exactly. A sales yeah. process to convert. Then can I deliver the work? Mm. So can I deliver the work? Now, here's there's a slight nuance here that is so important. Can I deliver the work and can I deliver enough work per week? the scheduling process, as well as the doing process. Here's what, mo- what I find with most business owners. Every single one of their widgets or their jobs is profitable and their weeks are not. Okay. That's a huge issue. So what does that mean? Is that they're not selling enough widgets to cover off the overhead nope. costs of the week? Um, no, they vastly underestimate. Time? They yeah. vastly underestimate the amount of chasing, checking, and correcting they're doing on a weekly basis just to get to the work done. Right. Vastly. So uh, it's, it's the least sexy process to work on and probably the most important one for the stability of your business, which is the scheduling process. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you look at your week, Wendy, and go, okay, there's a series of things that you need to do. You need to execute on a series of files and you need to have a series of sales meetings. Yep. And the week never happens like the week's supposed to happen. But if it, the closer it can happen to the way that you planned it out, the better it is. And so I'll give you, I'll, I'll make this a little less abstract. If I'm a roofing company, I've priced mm-hmm. out four roofs this week. 
Okay, each one of those roofs, if I do them according to the estimate, are profitable. But if my estimate of four roofs equals 26 hours instead of 32 hours of work, the roofs will be profitable. I got to pay my guys for the 32 hours. I don't make enough money because I've only got revenue for 26 hours of roofs coming in. Mm -hmm. And you see this all the time. I, I, it kills me. Small and micro business owners are really good. They're the roofer starting the roofing company. And once they have the roofing company, they can't seem to get enough roofs done per week. They can do roofs like you wouldn't believe. They're single roof, unreal. Yeah. They can't get enough roofs. And this is, the, this is why most business owners fail when they get past, when they get past six, $700,000. Completely fail. Because now it's not about doing the job. It's about creating the environment for all of the jobs to get done profitably. So marketing, sales, scheduling, delivery of the work. Yeah. And the final one that's always tricky for small and micro business owners because they never have time is the HR process. Mm. Right. And there are a series of, pro but HR is both from the company's perspective, where are your risks? And from the person's perspective, the individual's perspective, are you creating the environment for growth and, and, and evolution as a person and hearing them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like yeah. there's two versions of that. So yeah. Yeah. So those are, I mean, those five processes are absolutely critical. It's, it's why we create it simply works, simply yeah. not works. Why we created it because we've taken these, these processes that cost a lot of money to, to put together and we've distilled it down to do it yourself because we found these are the five areas pretty consistently. Yeah. And so that means it's accessible to your average person or average business owner, and they can do it on a time frame that works for them given their workload and all that type hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's super cool. I think that the, the blend of, of being able to deliver an education component, but also be very practical on the day to day. Here's how you do it is so important because we can sometimes get mired in either one of those camps, as opposed to understanding why we're doing something, et cetera. So we have never consumed more information in human history. <laughs> The issue, of course, is now we're dealing with a world of abundance. Yes. And we need to mobilize that information in a world of abundance to add value. Okay, great. How are you going to do that as a business owner? How are you going to take what you're reading and turn it into something that matters to you, either personally or professionally? Yeah. The, the thing that's coming up for me right now, uh, the question I want to go to next is perfectionism. Um, hmm. I do feel that uh, for many people, uh, if it's not 100%, I'm not going to ever ship it. And I'm a, I'm a Seth Godin fan. So, you know, if you're not embarrassed with the first thing you shipped, then you ship too late is my is some, some of the mantras I've worked with. So yeah. where do you fall on that scale? Like, how do you get people to go? ship something, get something in place and then, and then incrementally improve or what is your theory on all that? Well, I'm going to go to uh, just, just a regular leader for a second. If you're not embarrassed of the person you were five years ago, you probably should be embarrassed of the person you are today. That's a big one, Matt. Yeah. Because yeah. you, if you're not evolving as a person and mm -hmm. you're not changing the habit loops that you have, and you're not growing as a person, you are stuck in some world. Okay. So in order to get better at something, you first have to be bad at it. Yes. Okay. And 
the mistake individuals make is they compare their day one to someone else's day 500. Right. Right. So if you want to become a runner, run. Don't worry about the strategy. And this is this is where I this is where I get into the difference. James Clear calls it the difference between motion and action. Yeah. Okay. Motion is making a plan to run and researching the best running shoes. And and, and we feel like we're doing something. Right. But we're Getting not. <laughs> we haven't done anything. That's motion. That yeah. is that is that is bullshit. You are lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. You're pretending you're you are consuming minutes, but you have done nothing for your health. Okay, so now if you want to run, put on a pair of shoes and run. Adults act their way into thinking different. They don't think their way into acting different. So say that again, because I think that is an amazing quote. Say it again. Adults act their way into thinking different. They cannot think their way into acting different. Mm. And so the only way to learn and get better at something is to do it. And I don't know when we start to become embarrassed of things that are less than perfect. I know we have a right. school system that does that to us. It read yep. pen, you were wrong. It, it creates all the, it, it, it creates all the wrong environment for what somebody needs to be successful later in their life. Yeah. Right. So you, you asked a rather simple question. I gave you a long answer to it, but the, the simple question is, you know, should we ship early? So I hate to give a blanket yes to this, but I will say this, find clients that love you and pilot new things with them. Yeah, nice. And learn with them. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I get new things into the market. Yeah. Ask for the, like, create win-wins. Create win-wins where they get more, you get more, you get to learn and off you go. And there's, so, you know, this is why most new ideas fail, by the way, because they're not one-step adjacencies. So if I have a client that loves me and I bring them a new product, yeah, or I have a clear product that I do well and I bring it to a new client, that's a one-step adjacency, either one of those. Okay. A two-step adjacency is a new product to a new client. Mm-hmm. You got a 16% chance of success. Yeah. The other one is over 80%. So these people, it's it's not about just, you know, you got to do new things and ship it out there. No, don't do that. That's really shitty. You've got a really low chance of success. But if you take clients that love you and give them new things, or you take things you do very well and you give them to new clients, you got an over 80% chance of success. Yeah. Right. But ask yourself, is it a one-step adjacency? If it's not. If it's, if it's a two-step adjacency, mm-hmm. there's a lot more planning and a lot more work that needs to go in to have any chance of success. If it's a one-step, you can get moving and you can yeah. get learning. Um, you're, I feel like what you've done is it put a massive block on what I'll call my opportunity filter. It's a tool I learned about in one of my coaching uh, classes. And an, an opportunity filter, it helps uh me in particular decide, am I going to do something or not do something? So if I have my one step adjacency is one of my things that says this opportunity is probably uh, highly likely to be successful. What are the other couple of things you would put on your opportunity filter, Matt, when you're looking at new opportunities? So when we're about to do something new, there are three questions that I ask myself. And the problem is people get mired in that second one. And you've just got, you, you just started there. 
what is the opportunity and what is the ROI on the opportunity? Yep. Okay. I don't really care about ROI on an opportunity until I ask myself, is it strategically aligned with where I'm taking the organization in the future? And the smaller you are, the harder this is to answer. Oh, so the sure. smaller you are, the more important it is to define. Richard Feynman had probably the most important rule for life. The number one rule in life is we shall not fool ourselves. And we are the easiest people to fool. The smaller you are as a business, the more you can convince yourself anything's aligned to anything. Yeah. So you need what Hemingway called a built-in shockproof shit detector to make sure that, first of all, it passes mustard on strategic direction. Okay. And what, what do I, and strategic direction is, you know, what does that mean? That means that you've clearly articulated why you exist and what you're going to be in 10 years. And as a result, what that means a year from now. Now, what I've done is I've boxed in the opportunities. There's only certain areas that's yeah. important, right? So then I look and go, okay, that opportunity, is it the right one? Yeah. Yep. Is it the right one? Which means what is the predictable ROI on it? Now, the third question. Can I resource it properly to get it over the finish line in the amount of time I set? This is where most people stumble. They won't. And this is why, you know, amateurs talk about strategy and professionals talk about logistics. You don't finish one of these conversations with yourself or with anybody else until you've actually changed the calendar. If you cannot get to the calendar, you can't actually change anything. Yeah. Because what you're going to do is fall, you're going to have moments of inspiration. And you're going to fall back into habit loops of the calendar. Right. 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 Consistently. Um, I'd like to go back to a second, uh, to something, Matt, that we talked about a little while ago, and then I'm going to open it up to some questions. We already have one question in the chat. Um, you talked about the four burners and um, how that can lead to burnout. And I know you've done some work on the intersection of health and wealth. Yep. Um, what have you done there? What are you seeing? What do entrepreneurs need to care about? Okay, so I'm glad you went here. Um, most entrepreneurs do a terrible job of taking care of themselves. Yep. Almost every leader that I've worked with, doesn't matter whether it's a 20 to $40 million business or it's a $500,000 business or it's a $200,000 business. They don't start with themselves and what they need to put away for them and their families. And, and by the way, this is incredibly problematic as an entrepreneur because should something happen to you, you leave a mess for your family. Absolutely. A mess. Yes. Okay. And this is, and, and remember, my guess is your partner is not exactly like you and they have less of a risk quotient than you do. And you are leaving them a mess to untangle that they don't understand and they are risk averse. Yes. So I, I start that seriously because I go, get your shit together. Yeah. There's a will that you need to have. Is it up to date? Do you have a cycle by which you update it? Do you have the right insurances in place? Can we go back to the will for a second? Is the will uh, integrated and work with your shareholders agreement? That is, yes. I mean, that, sorry. Yes, I, I've seen. I just wanted to add it. that new one. Sorry. Yeah, that's an important one, but you're absolutely right. Does your will work with your shareholders agreement? Is your structure set up properly? Have you walked through what happens in yeah. terms of a critical illness, a major disability where you can't do one of the five functions of life or death? Yeah. Have you walked through that with your partner? If you haven't, you know, I, and, and I, I'll say this emphatically because my dad, 
Mm. My dad was in the top 1% of health. We know that because of his insurance premiums. They were next to nothing, top 1% of health. And then he started misstepping a bit. And we're like, that's interesting. And then he missed the golf ball entirely. And you know, his, his golf swing was never pretty, but he never missed the golf ball. Um, and then we found out that what he had was a terminal illness, cerebral ataxia that got upgraded to multiple systems atrophy, which slowly or speedily and erratically takes away your ability to move and talk. Right. And he did what I did. Right. So, you know, right now, that's all I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I, I bring this up because if anybody's listening to this right now or before, and you don't have your shit together on that front, I don't care what else you're doing to add value today. Stop. Go look at this. Okay. So that's on the, that's on the health and wealth side, or at least the health side on the wealth side. I sit here and go, what instruments are you using to take advantage of compounding returns? What instrument? And and I, you know, I I like Nassim Tlaib's barbell approach to investing. So Nassim Tlaib is just, he's brilliant. He's got FU money. Um, He's, he's, uh, and he's done it based on understanding safe investments versus risky ones. What he says is, you know, don't keep anything in the middle keep a bunch of stuff, you know, he basically says 80, 90% in very safe things, you know, maybe a, maybe a, a whole life insurance policy or a participant of whole life insurance policy or something that has predictable returns over a long period of time, real estate, whatever it happens to be. And then he takes 10 or 20% and puts it into ultra high risk potential home runs that he uh, believes in. Yeah. Nothing in the middle. So, you know, that, that's just a philosophy that I fell in love with. I'm certainly not a financial advisor, but I really didn't understand any of this until about four or five years ago. And, and what, what prompted that journey though? Because uh, I feel that most business owners are in the same boat. They've got everything siloed. They're not looking at an picture scenario. So what prompted it? What was the thing, Matt, that made you say, I got to get my shit together. Uh, Two personal moments. One, uh, I decided I wasn't waking up living the life that I wanted every day and had an in- incredible uh, couple of sessions with a business advisor out of Tucson, uh, who was really a personal advisor, leadership advisor, Warren Rustin. Um, Warren Rustin's written a book called The Leader Within, um, and he just published that in the last little bit. I'm glad he got it out. He's just he's just an incredible human being from the four perspectives of life. Uh, and he, he totally challenged me to do what we do for businesses and say, why aren't you doing that for yourself? And I went, well, that makes a lot of sense. Cobbler you know? shoes, Matt, cobbler shoes. Yeah, but, but no, but you know what? We were doing it for our business. Yeah. But take, take that same principle and do it for yourself. So think about this, you know, why do I exist? There's great models, right? And, and anybody who wants to reach out to me afterwards, I'm happy to send you the models that I use, the three models that I use to sort of ground myself in the future. Right. And there's two things. There's, there, here's what I do. I, I look out and go, what's my North Star purpose, noble purpose, whatever you want to call it. I use the model of Icky guy. You know, what do you yeah. love? What are you good at? What yeah. does the world need? What can you make money at? And it's, you know, it's, it's a bastardization of Icky guy. It's a Japanese principle, but it's, it's a great Venn diagram with four circles. You answer those questions. Then I answer the question of the four perspectives of life back to the four burners. And I answer it from two perspectives. What's my obituary going to say? And what's it going to be in 10 years? Obituary is a little bit morbid, but I'll tell you what, as soon as you do that, there's a lot of things that you think matter that don't matter. Yeah. 
Okay. And then after that, I list my bucket list that says, what are the, you know, 30 things, small or big that I want to see, do and experience in this world. And if you put those three models together, you will have a wonderful personal aim that will start to ground you in all those micro decisions. So first of all, that moving to that on my own changed my life in terms of personal aim and what I do. Okay. Now, what set me off on the on the wealth side and the and the insurances side? I had to have the significant emotional event. I had to go through it with my dad, who was totally ill prepared. And then I looked around, and I've got my partner. And then, of course, we had the birth of my daughter three years ago. And you sit there and go, I don't. This isn't this isn't fair to them. Like, you know. And it, it honestly, there is not much. It, it's not more work. It's just different work. So jarring you out of the life habits you have today to get you to the next ones is the key, right? So, you know, I, I know that we went a little bit in a, in a, in a bit of a tangent there, but I'm, what I'm trying to help people understand is that there is, when you're an employee or when you work for someone or when you settle into a life, there's a whole bunch of things that are done for you. You know, growth plans are put on a regular routine. There's when you have a job, there's a lot, and you have a few community commitments, and then you end up with a mortgage commitment. And so, it, like a lot of life is basically dictated to you. It's when you're an entrepreneur, there's so much out there that you have to take responsibility and ownership for. That there's, and to be honest, the thing that pisses me off is there's nobody actually helping entrepreneurs see the whole picture. There's people who do parts of it, and yeah. they want to sell you services. So you go to talk to someone in insurance and you're like, Jesus, I just want to understand it. I don't want you to sell me on critical illness and whole life. And no, can you paint the picture for me, but not require me to buy? Yeah. And there's no one doing that. There's no one actually painting the full picture of health and wealth without having one of them as the way they make their money. So that's the issue is, is people, when you make your money in a certain way, people immediately distrust. Yep. Rightly or wrongly, right? So where is that person who's helping you dissect that health and wealth as, a, as an individual and helping you chart and live a life of intention rather, rather than a life of opportunity and consequence? Absolutely. Well, it's kind of how we've gotten to the point where what we do is we charge for the planning service so that if you decide not to do any of the products we recommend, that's okay. Because we've yep. got paid for our time and effort in building that picture for you. Yeah. yeah. And so often, I, I, I say this, I bring this up, and I don't say this lightly. If you don't understand your personal aim, you are almost certainly creating chaos in your business. Because mm. you're not clear on what serves you and where you're going. And therefore, you're not clear on what your business needs to do. And therefore, both of those could be anything. Therefore, they're nothing and everything. And you're creating chaos on the execution of your business. There's no question. If you don't have clarity, and don't get me wrong, you don't have to write it in a stone tablet. No. This is the 90-day review point. Today Things for today, change. this is what it is. Now review it every 90 days and ask yourself, is this still what I want? You're allowed to change your mind. Well, and the other piece is, is we don't know what we're going to know in 90 days, but that shouldn't stop us from making a plan. See, getting anchored in where you think you want to go and getting it down to the things you're going to do so that you can create a someday maybe list and still have the freedom to go do so that the things you could do don't paralyze you yeah. becomes way more important as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. And, and as long as you have that review cycle, then it becomes 
incredibly easy to stay focused on what you what you've committed to because you know you're going to review in 90 days. Yeah. Um, we we've even matured this in our house to where my partner and I get together and we review this whole thing. We go through it. We understand what motivate. I understand what motivates her. I understand how to support her. And you know, so much of relationship breakdowns are a lack. They're unstated expectations that get unfulfilled. So there's no winning there, Matt. There's no winning. There isn't. So so you know, you turn that around and go. How do we how do we create and. And I've stopped working with business owners who can't articulate their personal aim. Interesting. Yep. They're wise. Um, I'm going to go to a question now. Uh, Christine has asked, as a new business, how do I trust my instincts to create a 10-year vision? You don't. Oh, excellent. Take all the pressure off. Yep. who's Who's your board? And, and I, that doesn't mean who are you paying. It, it means who's your board? Who's your, who are the people around you that are going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear? So, so where is your personal, I look at them as a personal board of directors. Where's your personal board of directors and who are they? Generally, someone who is, who has all the things you think you want in life should probably be on that. And Someone who is very well versed in your business line, someone who's maybe a core customer. It doesn't mean I bring them all together to chat. Just think about what that board looks like. Yeah. Who is your personal board? Because people who say trust your gut, no, don't trust your gut. Use your gut as your first moment of inquiry and to feed your curiosity, but don't trust it. I heard this the other day. So often our first instinct is actually a series of biases we've built up over a period of time of how we think things should be, not actually what we want. And that's scary to think about. It's it's how we've been socialized and trained. And what we think, you know, how we how we sort of navigate life is what our gut is comprised of. It's not now, don't get me wrong, sometimes your gut's right, but please trust and verify. Like vet that gut. And how are you going to get outside yourself? How are you going to get outside yourself to challenge yourself? Because this is, this is where growth comes, right? Growth comes just outside your comfort zone. Now, if you're too far outside, you'll shut down. You won't do it. If you're too far inside, it just becomes peat and repeat. And you're just sort of mailing in the days, right? So the, how do you create the environment where you're, and, and by growth, I don't necessarily mean your bank account. What I mean is, you're growing personally, you're fulfilled, right? I mean, it, it's, you're having the impact you want on this world. You're able to do it from a place of comfort. You know, we're all forced to navigate this world of abundance now. And the things that have served humanity for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, which is scarcity and tribal mentality and all of that fun stuff, doesn't serve us in this world. We're, we're, we're not actually built to navigate what a very select few of us in the Western world are now confronted with. And so we have to create our own constraints in order to thrive. So how are you doing that on a personal level and on a business level? Right. And how are you seeing that you're progressing? This is, this is the stuff because the messy middle is messy. Yeah. There's no getting over that. You know, 
are you going towards a personal plan? Are you going towards a professional plan? Do you have good outside voices that can help challenge your thoughts? The smaller you are, the more important that is, right? And then the last thing is stop with motion, get to action. Don't spend, you know, don't spend half your days in existential crisis. Just you spend two days, a quarter in existential crisis and then sort your shit and get to action. Right. Yeah. That's the, and you can't do everything. You can't do everything. So it becomes so important that you choose what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, Matt, I could talk to you all day and uh, I sometimes wish I could pull your brain into my brain and then it would be great. Uh, but I really want to thank you for coming on The Real Bottom Line. And I think the real bottom line today is get to action and, and make sure you're reviewing your goals at least every 90 days. Uh, so again, thanks for coming today, Matt. So appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank Wonderful you. day. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.